the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In 1955, Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen published a song that would be popularized into infamy by Frank Sinatra. The song was Love and Marriage, and it lays out an idea that we as Christians know to be true, not because of a song, but because of the Scriptures. The first stanza says, Love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. We know that the Apostle Paul would wholeheartedly agree with this statement. He extols by the Spirit's inspiration marriage. There is no relationship on earth. There is no human relationship that the Bible lays out as more intimate, more as one, the two become one flesh, more profound as it is from human to human. And the Bible is very clear that when we are married, we are to love, we are to serve, we are to give, we are to sacrifice for our spouse. Love and marriage are so intertwined that the very definition of love, selflessness, the willing to be sacrificial even to the point of death, is embodied and explained in the Scriptures in marriage. Love and marriage, you cannot have one without the other. And that truth is actually a problem for Paul. It is the problem with marriage. Confused? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. Follow along as I read those verses. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. The problem with marriage is that marriage influences your worship. And what Paul lays out for us here is that that influence is usually negative. And so this morning, as Paul continues his explanation of his preference for Christians to remain unmarried, whether they were never married or were once married but are now not, he gives us four ways that marital influence worship. Excuse me, four ways marital status influences worship. Four ways marital status 
influences worship. The first is the caring desire. The caring desire, and we see this in the beginning part, the first sentence of verse 32, where Paul says, but I want you to be free from concern. When you understand the place God is to have in our lives as the ultimate, the utmost priority, then you understand that Paul comes from a place in which his concern for us is in light of that priority. Not social circumstances, not even marital status per se, but everything he says, as we know, comes from his desire to glorify God, but also for us as Christians to glorify God. And so in talking about his preference that Christians remain single, the Apostle Paul explains that it is for our freedom from concern, or the word also means anxiety. And the anxieties he speaks of stem from marriage. These are not sinful anxieties as they are uh, anxieties in general are seen as sinful in other places in Scripture. But here he says anxieties in the sense of things that you are concerned about. We would use in our modern English, what are you worried about, even though you're not literally worried. It's just a way of phrasing something that is occupying your mind, something that you are concerned about, distracted with. You see, there are pressures from marriage that bring distraction into our lives, and they distract us from our single-hearted devotion to the Lord. Again, this is the main concern here. That's not to say that we don't have other distractions outside of marriage, regardless of our marital status. But marriage, and this is very important to understand the whole of this passage, marriage brings distractions that exist because of our pursuit of obedience to the Lord. In other words, the distractions of marriage are commanded in Scripture. So, assuming that we are only pursuing that which the Lord desires, we know that's not true, but hypothetically assume that we only pursue in our lives that which God wants, the person who is married has more concerns that take away from a complete focus on the Lord. The single Christian, however, does not have those concerns and is only concerned, Paul says, about how to please the Lord. Because without a spouse, there is nobody else they need to be concerned about to the degree that married people do about their spouses. As a side note, as we will see with the rest of the passage, there is a whole potential sermon here just on what is implied or assumed, not even Paul's point. And we won't spend a lot of time on here because to be faithful to the text, I want to expound on what his point is. But in making his point, he brings in other assumptions about Christians. For example, here, Paul's assumption that an unmarried person has no distractions in his or her life that would take away from their complete dedication to the Lord. I believe that's very convicting because the average Christian single today has dozens of distractions in their life that are self-imposed, and many, in fact, are considered by Scripture to be sinful. The way we ought to live, though, is that as a single unmarried person, that there are 
no distractions from their commitment to the Lord simply because they are not married. And we're not talking about the normal aspects of life like jobs and taking care of your body. Things like your career and nutrition are only distractions from the Lord when you sin with the things like fear of man, wanting to make enough money to impress people or try to impress your boss, or the love of money. So there are things in our lives that we would not consider true distractions from the Lord, but we find that things like jobs and taking care of our health are distractions because we bring sinful mindsets into them, such as the love of money, wanting to impress people with our physique or things like that. But back to the text. Paul loves the Corinthian believers and is concerned for them. And his caring desire is that they be free from marital concerns. And he goes on to explain in more detail what he means regarding the distractions of marriage. What exactly is in marriage or in your spouse that would distract someone from a fully focused commitment to the Lord. And that brings us to our second way marital status influences worship, and that is the consecrated devotion. The consecrated devotion. And here we begin with the unmarried individual who can have and should have a full-fledged consecrated devotion to the Lord that is not pulled in any other direction but up. As with our third point, This second point, we will have to kind of get from different passages. It's just not clear word after word. So look look with me at the second part of verse 32, where he says, One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Then jump to the middle of verse 34. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. Now we see that Paul addresses both men and women, and he uses basically the same phrase for both, but adds nuances to the man and the woman. With the woman, you may have noticed that he addresses two different kinds of women or two different situations. He refers to the unmarried as well as to the virgin. Now, there is some debate as to what these refer to. Some believe that the word virgin refers to the person who has never been married, thus making the term unmarried refer to those who have been married before but divorced. Why not a widow? Because in verses 6 and 7, there's a third Greek word that is clearly referring to widows. Others believe that virgin is referring to those who are actually engaged or betrothed to be married. That is clearly uh, the translation that the, the interpreters of the ESV Bible used as the word is not virgins, but it is betrothed. What is important is that we will see the general principles for both men and women and women of any status so long as they are unmarried, including widows. If they are single, these principles apply regardless of whether they were married before or how their marriages ended. 
this applies to all singles. In other words, the descriptions that Paul is about to give us for both singleness and marriage apply to all Christians. The difference being only whether you are currently married or currently single. In verses 32 and 34, again, where we get our second point, where he addresses the unmarried, we see that Paul uses the same phrase, concerned about the things of the Lord. Verse 32, he further explains this with how he may please the Lord. That is just an addendum, a further clarification of what it means to be concerned about the things of the Lord. This is a singular, undistracted focus on the Lord. And if you really want uh, more details to that, you understand and you know from the Scriptures that this kind of focus on the Lord, the things of the Lord, can be summed up in the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, the second only can exist if it hinges and flows out of the first Everything else that we do on a practical obedience level, worship, prayer, service, fellowship, all of it starts there with loving the Lord and then loving others. Without it, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 13, as as the children have seen in our children's messages, without it, you are nothing but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. In other words, no matter how noble your actions may seem, without love, it is worthless. It is worthless to you. It is worthless to God. This, loving, biblically, in and of itself, is a lifelong, all-consuming endeavor. You will never master this in your time on earth. To love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is hard enough without the distractions of loving your spouse as you love yourself. And so, this is what Paul is talking about. Verse 34 clarifies that being concerned about the things of the Lord includes holiness both in body and spirit. Uh, By way of reminder, the literal definition of holy is set apart, to be set apart. It is very appropriate in this context. God's holiness is that He is completely set apart in His very essence, in His very being, in His character, in His ontology. He is set apart from the world, from sin. For Christians, we are set apart to the Lord from the world, from our sin, from our sinful way of thinking, from our enslavement to sin prior to salvations. We have been taken by God and we have been set apart as a special people for Himself. Now, this aspect of setting apart and being holy and pursuing holiness, setting ourselves apart day by day, repenting of sin, turning away from the ways of the world is easier to do when your interests are not divided. And indeed, set apart here contrasts the divided attention of someone who is married. Again, to put it simply, single people can be more devoted to the Lord's work because they only have one set of cares. The married people have two sets of cares, God and family. 
Now, if you sit there, whether you're single or married, and you say, well, I have way more sets of cares, that's on you because that's self-imposed. Body and spirit, simply a simple way of referring to the entirety of who you are, both the physical body and physical actions, as well as your heart and mind. And it's not that you are unholy and not set apart to God if you are married, but we all know, again, that holiness takes a lot of time, effort, and dedication. It includes perfection in God's eyes. Time, effort, and dedication that married men and women have less of at their disposal because, like you singles, we married men and women have jobs, we have homes, we need to eat, we need to sleep, but we also need to take care of all of those things and more in regards to our spouse and, Lord willing, our children. We have left less time effort, and dedication at our disposal for the pursuit of holiness. And as I said earlier, there are volumes of profound teaching here simply in what is assumed of the Christian. You see, you don't automatically have a deeper consecration, a deeper level of commitment to the Lord simply because you're single. What you do have are more resources than a married person to consecrate yourself to the Lord. What you do with those resources is up to you. Are you going to use it for holiness or are you going to use it for selfish, worldly pursuits? This, by the way, also applies to married. What are you going to do with your time? But to the point, singles have all of their time and resources that can be used fully for the Lord. And the question is, what are you going to do with that time and those resources? Paul is making general statements that are valid and true. Obviously, it's not just about holiness or no holiness, Devotion or no devotion, distractions or no distractions. We understand life doesn't work that way. There are seasons, there are degrees, there is excelling still more, there is striving and spiritual growth. But there is ultimately no point in trying to classify or address all the dozens, if not thousands, of different levels of concerns. Well, what about the single who supports his parents? What about the widow who has young children? What about the married couple with no children? I get it. Each of these situations will have differing obligations pulling at them. You can even add to that the challenges of having handicapped kids or kids with learning disabilities. But here's my point. The general principles are still true. Far too often, we take specific and perhaps unique situations to try to disprove or twist the Scriptures that we do not like. Well, I know several people who have been saved from the preaching of a female pastor. Your experience and what may be true does not negate the Scriptures. Well, I know a homosexual married couple that is way more committed to their church than a lot of people at Grace Bay Area. See, we do things like that. But that does not negate the principles of Scripture that are true. 
none of that negates or disproves the Word of God, no matter how much we may dislike it or even how much we may like it, but our experiences seem not to apply to what the Scriptures say. And what Paul says here is true. Singles can have more devotion to the Lord than married people. These truths are taken as true only when you understand the greater context of the Christian life and the whole of the Bible. And that, for me, involves two things. First, we should be focusing primarily on God and giving Him our maximum time, effort, money, and attention. If you're not doing that, then none of this makes sense to you. Secondly, if you are married, you are fully committed to serving and submitting to or leading your spouse fully. Otherwise, none of this is true or makes sense. But that leads us to our third way that marital status influences worship. And now we come to how he addresses the married people or marriage. Number three, the compulsory distraction. The compulsory distraction. Look at verse 33 into the beginning of verse 34. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And jump to the end of verse 34. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You'll notice that again the same statement is made of both male and female, husband and wife. He or she is concerned about the things of the world, how he or she may please their spouse. The only addition for the husband is the phrase, and his interests are divided, which logically applies to both husband and wife. Now I want to clarify that things of the world here are not sinful things. And it's not bad if you read that and your mind automatically went there because the New Testament does consistently use the world as a reference to something evil and negative and controlled by the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan. But that is not the case here. That's not how Paul is using this word. This goes back to verses 29 and 31 that we saw last week, which tell us that marriage is of this world. In other words, it is passing away. It is not eternal. The form of this world, including marriage, is passing away. So when Paul says that we are concerned as husband and wife about the things of this world, he he is talking about things that are necessary, things that are commanded, but are not of eternity. They are the things that do not exist in eternity. The contrast, of course, is that the single person does not need to be enmeshed in these types of concerns. See, we will exist eternally in the new heavens and new earth, specifically the new earth. So we will live forever on earth, but it will be completely destroyed and then rebuilt. And at that time, there will be no marriage and thus no worldly concerns about marriage. So to sum up, Here, the things of the world are not inherently bad. They are not negative. They are not sinful. And to be clear, neither the various aspects of marriage nor the concerns or anxieties about those aspects are inherently bad or negative. 
but they are concerns. And they are concerns that occupy one's time and attention in a way that is unique to this world and unique to marriage. When we follow the biblical pattern of marriage, marriage is a commitment to another person that involves your whole being. Not just just your time off work, not just time uh, when you guys are in the bedroom, not just on vacation, whatever it is. It involves everything. The two become one flesh. It's a relationship of care and concern that we know, again, is held in high esteem in the eyes of God and is irrevocable, as we see on God's teaching on divorce. In no way is Paul criticizing married people for being married, nor does he criticize them for having these concerns. He expects them to. According to Scripture, these concerns are obligatory. They're compulsory. They are required if you are to live out your marriage the way God desires, God demands. Now, the reason they are of the world is not just because marriage itself is of the world, but also because the specific concerns that Paul is referencing are of this world. Food, clothing, mortgages, Happiness, as Paul says here, and as we saw last week, even such things as emotions are temporary and of this world because in eternity, our constant state will simply be joy. We can see how this causes one's interest to be divided. A good picture of this, though it's not in the context of marriage, is Christ's admonition of Martha in Luke 10, 41. It is that infamous scene where Jesus comes to the home of Martha and her sister Mary, and while Mary immediately sits at Jesus' feet as learner and worshiper, her sister Martha, also most likely in a desire to honor and worship Christ, we cannot forget that. We often criticize Martha. She wanted to honor Christ. She was running around making preparations for Him, preparing and serving food and whatnot, most likely even getting clean water ready so he could wash his feet or his hands. Martha then asked Jesus to tell Mary to help her. I'm running around doing everything. This is a two-person job. And in Luke 10, 41, Jesus replies with those famous words, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And that word worried with which he describes and admonishes Martha has the same Greek word, Greek root rather, as the word divided in our passage for the morning. Your interests are divided. Like Martha, the married individual has his or her interests divided. And again, that division is not a sinful thing. It's not that these two sets of commitments to the Lord and to our spouse are contradictory. Okay, that's very important. The married person has two sets of commitments, one to the Lord and one to the spouse. They're not contradictory. They do not clash with one another. That's not the point. The point is that there are two. That's the point. And that's pretty significant. Notice, 
nowhere are we told that we have an equal commitment to our children, to our jobs, to our rest. It's God and spouse, and that's it. Let me put it this way. Worship and devotion are ultimately about pleasing God. What is pleasing God? To put it in very simple terms, it's making Him happy. We want to make God happy. Now in marriage, we have another person whom we are to seek to make happy. Again, they are not contradictory, but there are two. And again, when you look at individual situations, you can run the whole gamut of variables. There are, for instance, many married couples where both are biblical spouses. In other words, they are doing, fulfilling their roles, and they are much more committed to the Lord than many Christian singles. But this, again, brings up the power of what is implied in these verses. The unmarried have more potential to set themselves apart for the things of the Lord. Hindrances to the single's devotion to the Lord and commitment to service are, again, self-imposed. They are not commanded as are marital obligations. Another implication is that the married person should be concerned about pleasing, biblically, their spouse. It's implied here. It's assumed. Which makes, actually makes Paul's preference for singleness make more sense in light of the biblical truth. He's, saying, I'm not, I, he's not saying, I want you to be single because all these married people are sinning and trying to seek the pleasure of their wives and their husbands. No. He's saying, I want you to be single because once you're married, you are commanded to now have a second set of obligations and distractions. You are commanded to be concerned about someone other than God. God still has a priority, but again, there are two. Can I give you a very practical tip for those of you who are married? As you saw that phrase and as I explained that, if the thought that you either kept yourself or even verbalized or nudged your spouse, if the thought occurred to you, see, you need to be more concerned about my happiness than most likely you are the problem. Our call is not to seek our spouse to fulfill us. Our call is to do everything we can to fulfill him or her and let God handle the rest. Encouragement, confrontation, rebuke, of course, but not expectations in a sinful and selfish way. That's like hearing a sermon on biblical love And hearing me say, love is selfless. Love involves service. And rather than hearing that sermon or reading that passage and saying, wow, I need to love better, you stand up and say, see church, you need to love and serve me more. Here's a list of things I needed in the past couple of years that none of you met. You would say, that's completely wrong. But it's the same thing when we go into marriage and say, see, your body is mine, as we saw recently. You need to seek my happiness. 
there is a problem there. And so many times I have seen it. And I'm not saying that this is the case throughout Christendom. Simply in my experience, it's been the wives. The wives say, husband, he doesn't make me happy. He's not doing what I want. But it's the husbands who come to me. It's the husbands who come to me with watery eyes and say, Pastor Roger, I am looking at the Scriptures. I am doing my best. I am trying to obey. I don't know what else to do. She's not happy. I'm leading. I'm loving. I'm serving. I'm sacrificing. I don't know what else to do biblically. And then they figure it out. The problem is I was doing things biblically. So they take from the world. They take the world's view of submission and leadership. They take the world's view of owning more stuff. And then she's happy. And then spiritually there's just more problems. We need to be careful. For both the married and the single, what we read in these verses may not resonate with you simply because things are so backwards these days. I'm not saying in our world. That's what the world is supposed to do. I'm saying in the church. Singles are overly occupied with the things of the world for their own pleasure. And marrieds are not devoted to their spouses as they ought to be. Sometimes even using ministry as an excuse to neglect their spouse or even abuse them. Whether married or single, we must make sure our heart and attitudes are right. And sometimes we are so enmeshed in the sinful, the worldly. Can I just be honest with you? Even going back to what I was explaining about demanding your spouse make you happy because that's what the world says. It's inviting Satan into your relationship. Why? Because the things of the world are dictated, written, and controlled by Satan. That's not charismatic. That's not overemphasizing demonology. That's biblical. That's what the Bible says. That's what God in His sovereignty has allowed. And we have to be careful. We've talked about it before. The building block of society and the reason things in our society, whether it's politically this year or even way beyond throughout history, are not worse, as bad as you may think they are. The reason they're not worse is because we are salt. Christians throughout the centuries have been adhering to the biblical principles of biblical marriage, and they are holding this society together even while society attacks it. And when we let that go astray, we let those building blocks fall apart, get cracks in them. It starts with your marriage. It is not about 
evangelizing your children. It starts with your marriage. You have two primary sets of obligations, God and spouse. If you love your children or even the idea of having children more than your spouse, you are wrong. Your thinking and your marriage are unbiblical. Your understanding of family are unbiblical. Your understanding of the building blocks of society and what God created are unbiblical. Adam was a fully formed adult. If God wanted to give him a child, he could have done that before giving him Eve. He gave him a spouse. We need to make sure that our attitudes and our understanding of Scripture are right. And we may be helped in this endeavor by looking at Paul's attitude, which is revealed in our final point. Our fourth way marital status influences worship. We have seen the caring desire, the consecrated devotion, the compulsory distraction, and finally, Paul's conclusive declaration. The conclusive declaration. We find this in verse 35. He says, This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. When we talk about having a biblical worldview, that is, interpreting the world, seeing the world, and our place in the world through the Scriptures, we are talking about a worldview that is detached from time. And what I mean is this. Our worldview is not influenced and does not change with the changing trends and movements of society. Now, we can use those. We view those from the Bible. We address those. And when I say use those, I mean things like technology. Obviously, we as Christians use technology. We dress in ways that are appropriate uh, for the 21st century and not the times before Christ, for example. So we use those. But how we view and live in the world is not dictated, especially these days, by social movements and politics and world leaders and world views, secular world views. Because when we view the Bible from a secular or also known as humanistic worldview, it's easy to read Paul's teaching on things such as women's roles or marriage as a whole as a personal attack. How dare he? In our particular context, then, you will miss his concern for the spiritual well-being of Christians because you're too preoccupied with what the world is whispering in your ear and you think, Paul's just a jerk. No, he clarifies that this instruction is for the benefit of the church and the honor of God, and that, my friends, is not to be taken lightly. He seeks, as he says here in verse 35, what is profitable, advantageous, helpful for the Christian. Anytime you use these words in the context of Christianity, you know we are not talking about worldly advantage, profit, such as material prosperity or vocational happiness. It is for the furtherance of our relationship with the Lord. 
That's what he means when he says, your advantage, your profit. And he also clarifies that the goal is not to put a restraint on those who are single, literally a noose. This was literally in those times a slip knot that you would put around an animal's neck so you can direct them against their wishes. He says, I'm not just saying this so that I will force you to do what I prefer. No, he does this out of love and concern. What he's trying to do is guide us to what is fitting and proper so that singles can focus on the Lord without any distractions or hindrances. That word devotion, this is great. It literally means well sitting beside. The picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet perhaps is helpful here. And the word also means a means constant, devoted to. Mary focused fully on Jesus rather than just keeping an ear on Jesus' words while she ran around setting tables and preparing food. And that's what Paul wants for you singles. Whether it is that you choose to remain single for this purpose or even if you desire to be married, are on your way to be married because there is someone in your life, you still are to pursue this, whether for the rest of your life, remaining single, or for the next few months or years. He just wants you to be able to do something that we married people cannot do all the time, which is to sit undistracted at Jesus' feet to listen and worship. Definitely not distracted by self-imposed desires for fun and finances. For some of us, Marriage is clearly what is appropriate. But if you want to have a marriage that is God-honoring, a marriage that allows you to have as much focus on God as possible, even when you take on this second set of distractions, then you, single, need to train yourself now, today, away from the selfish pursuits that you are currently enmeshed in as a single person. Sometimes we get it wrong. Uh, We put it into fifth gear because you say, well, I'm engaged now, so I'm going to pursue those things even more now while I still have this undistracted attention and these unhindered finances. I'm going to take more time to travel and more time to visit these expensive restaurants that I don't think I'll be able to do later, to buy more stuff now because I know what Paul's saying. I won't be able to do that later. We have it all wrong. you got to use that time wisely, especially if it is limited, and frankly, even if you're single for the rest of your, your life. We just saw last week that the time is very limited. And I know we don't do this in the way the world does, but isn't that the, 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 the stereotypical, cliched idea of a bachelor party for the world? Sow your wild oats one last night before you're shackled to one person for the rest of your life. 
Now, we don't engage in in such uh, hedonistic sin, obviously. But you understand my point. Oh, well, things are getting serious with him. I better really just do all the things I've always wanted to do now that I won't be able to do while I'm married. No, use your time. Use your time wisely. And remember that this is a Spirit-inspired love of Paul for us. Because it's Spirit-inspired, we know that it is a love from God for us, for you specifically as a single person to understand the problem with marriage is that you will not have the focus and devotion you may now have. Oh, you'll use your marriage, hopefully. You can use your marriage to honor God in a different way. Meeting those needs and fulfilling those obligations of your spouse's happiness and other things like that are biblical, or I should say they could be biblical. Many of us take them into a sinful way as we love the world and love money. But you get what I'm saying. But there is still a distraction. There is still a non-singular focus on the Lord as, as there ought to be in marriage. So remember that marital status does affect worship. We've seen four ways. The caring desire, the consecrated devotion that singles can have, the compulsory distraction that marrieds are commanded to have, the conclusive declaration that this is for our good, out of love. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. And for the Christian in marriage, you have to have both. And that, for Paul, is the problem. A good problem, but a problem when it comes to devotion nonetheless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for our singles in this church that you would help them to take to heart what is being said. Not that they would fear or condemn or judge marriage, but that they would see marriage biblically. That they would use their time as single to maximize what you have given them, the ability to do a singular focus on you. If you have in their lives a conviction 
that they are not doing what they're supposed to do. I pray that you would use your spirit to help them to practically remove the things from their lives. Perhaps even the way that they relax because they can at night. YouTube, Netflix, video games, just doing nothing, too much sleep. Remove those from them, Lord. Give them the desire to honor you by removing those things, not just so that they will have a happy marriage one day, not just so that they can look good, but so that they can fill that time with things that honor you. Yes, praying. Yes, reading your word, but also service, worship, meditation on how to better serve and worship, thinking through how they can use every minute of work as a means of worship. I pray, Father, that you would even help some of our singles to think, as you may have convicted them recently, to think rightly, biblically, not emotionally, but biblically, whether they should just get rid of their desire for marriage and to pursue singleness, but for the right reasons, so they can use it for you and not for selfish pursuits. I pray for those of us who are married that despite the obligatory distractions that we would focus on you as much as possible, that you would guard us from seeking our spouses or our own happiness in worldly ways, but we would do so biblically and as our spouses seek our happiness and joy biblically, that we would not pressure them to seek our happiness in a worldly way. Help us as well to remove from our our lives and our thoughts the worldly distractions that are unbiblical so that we can focus on the temporal distractions that are biblical. Use us all as a body of Christ to glorify you through our respective marital statuses. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we close.